Hi there, welcome to this week's podcast episode, Atypical and Proud of It. I'm really excited to be speaking with behavioral therapist Joy Johnson, who is also on the spectrum herself. I absolutely fell in love with her Instagram page because she's just super honest. And let's be real, what better way to learn about neurodiversity than from someone who is actually on the spectrum? I hope you enjoy. Also, make sure that you're following My Autism Tribe on our social platforms. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and also YouTube. It helps make all of our voices stronger. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to My Autism Tribe, an organization of advocates that are educating, supporting, and empowering those in our communities. We are one voice made stronger. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Joy Johnson is an autism advocate, behavior and inclusion specialist, and is on the spectrum. She uses her social platform to not only share her thoughts on everyday life, but also her thoughts on some of the more popular autism research and science. It's such a joy to welcome Joy Johnson to our show today. Joy, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. I'm so excited. Uh, I can't wait for everybody to hear you speak. For one, you're such an eloquent speaker and you have so much information to share. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. (laughs) I actually saw your name uh, on an article from The Mighty and that's when I initially started following you. Um, It said, I I think it was uh, people on the autism spectrum that you should follow. And so I took their orders and you were one of them and your Instagram platform specifically, uh, I've just been enthralled with because you are so just real and raw and honest. And not only that, but you are so gifted in the information that you share. So first and foremost, thank you for that. And thank you for following. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. So we were able to talk a little bit offline before we hopped on on the show. And first off, I just, you know, I I made mention you are um, on the spectrum yourself, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, what age were you diagnosed or Mm -hmm. what were kind of those initial things that made you start questioning or your parents questioning that you may be on the spectrum? At six, um, I was a part of a study for children who had um, childhood schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, an orphan. (laughs) People don't use that word anymore. So I was put into a study. Um, for kids that had childhood schizophrenia. Um, upon conclusion of that study, they figured out that I didn't have that, but I had uh, pervasive disorders, what it was you know, labeled at, at the time. So um, by the end of that study, my diagnosis had changed from that to um, pervasive disorder, nonspecific. Um, and then over the years, uh, I got several other diagnoses, like it changed <laughs> as the DSM, grew as more revisions came my diagnosis changed so it went from that to asperger's by the time i was 12 and then you know in my when i turned 40 they removed asperger's so now i just um it's just considered autism level one which is what um i prefer um i just I, i identify with the rest of my peers and i don't think i need to be have a specific kind of autism. I'm just, I'm just autistic. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that I think is even 
more fascinating and that I commend you greatly on is that somewhere along the way on your amazing journey, you decided that you wanted to become a behavioral therapist. And what I'm just so fascinated about in love is that because you are on the spectrum, that you are able to work with these individuals that have these learning differences and able to provide them services and see them excel with what you have learned. And so I really, I, I want to do kind of a deep dive into all of this because people, this lady is just amazing in your education and what you have learned and what you're bringing and providing to the community. So at what point did you decide, you know what, I want to do something more with, um, with this? I decided I wanted to teach first because I thought that would be a way that I could um, make a difference. So I was living in Germany and I was teaching a class specifically for children on the autism spectrum. And um, I realized that that still wasn't it. I needed to be the person that... Um, was more facilitating how we were learning, treating the deficits to help us learn. Like, I, it just wasn't the meat and potatoes for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to go back to school because I had a, I got a master's in education and then I went back to school and got another master's in psychology. And in the midst of going to school for just general psychology, I discovered ABA. Um, okay. I had been out of the country. Germany, ABA is not a big thing, you know, so um, I didn't know about it yet. Mm -hmm. But I discovered it um, at a school that I was working with because they used ABA strategies. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. I re you know, we get obsessed with things really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so it became my special interest. I went home, I researched it. The next day I called my advisor and I switched my specialization to ABA. And it was literally um, like that quick. I started learning things. I didn't even know how to become a BCBA at that point. Um, I quit my job, got a job that would help me get hours <laughs> yeah. to become a BCBA. You know, and it was just like, wow. Like, I really just, I love that it wasn't something that was supposed to quote unquote cure autism, but it was a study of human behavior, which we all are. And it really didn't have anything to do with our diagnosis. It was more of treating the behaviors that you want to see strengthened or um, weakened. And um, there was a simple science to doing it. So, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and so w when we were talking offline for a little bit, um, one of the questions that you asked me, and I think we've all had discussions like this before, is, you know, I think ABA started, you hear Dr. Lovas's name come right. up quite a bit, and a lot of people um, on the spectrum especially are quite opposed to ABA. Right. Right. And so we had a pretty lengthy conversation about about that, about your viewpoint. My son had ABA <clears throat> and it clicked with him and he, he did amazing with it. Can you share your viewpoint on, on ABA? Because I really thought it was fascinating. Um, so oh, I see, like you, a lot of people online and I have actually <coughs> gotten into debates and, and quite... <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, um, situations that weren't the best with um, other people on the spectrum about ABA. So people have called it abuse and things of that nature. The principle and the, the fundamental theories of ABA are not abusive. 
it's how it is implemented and by the people who implement it. Sure. So um, certain families, and I'm not even going to say it's intentional. This is not an intentional quote unquote abuse. It's just people want their kids to look a certain way because they're neurotypical. So it's hard for you to imagine your child being able to function in society flapping or rocking because you think that they're going to face negative stigmas, but you don't think about our perspective of it, meaning the flapping and rocking help us to emotionally, to regulate our emotions, to give us the sensory input that we need. Um, it's not always possible to find a replacement behavior that gives you that same um, sensory input, and it's not necessary if it's not injurious or, or harmful. So. I um, hypothesize, I think that, that, not hypothesize, but I think that uh, some of the people that have encountered what they call abuse are things, uh, what they were targeted to make them appear to be typical, is what they say from their perspective. Yeah. And um, it's just, it wasn't on purpose, I'm sure, unless some parents, you know, were really that <coughs> malice in doing it, which I, you know, I doubt. But sure. it's just they don't know. So that's why I joined the field too, is to give the perspective from us and to get more of us involved in the field, like involved in research, not as subjects, but as people who give the input, as people who um, help put a stamp of approval on certain therapies. So we can say, oh, you want to target this because you think it's going to impact my quality of life? It really doesn't. This actually may be beneficial to my quality of life. And in, in order to promote uh, promote a more neurodiverse um, society, we need to start accepting these types of behaviors because they're not a big deal. You know, if I'm not hurting you or if, if it's not hurting myself, I should be able to flap. I should be able to rock. Um, stemming behaviors that, you know, just are not disruptive are not a big deal. Yes. And so that was one of the problems that I had with seeing um, uh, therapy when I first got into the field. I would see things that people would target. And I'm like, this is not a big deal. Like um, eye contact, that's another one. Um, if you can talk to me and you're more comfortable talking to me, not actually looking, just make that initial, you know, like check in. That's, you know, that's what I teach my clients. And then, you know, you can look down and explain to the person, but sometimes people don't realize eye contact is overwhelming for us. Yes. That also is something that's overstimulating. And if that is going to cause so much of a problem with your communication, just explain your situation, check in, like I say, look up, and you don't have to make eye contact. Yeah. Forcing somebody to do that. And it's, those are the things that people claim to be abused, forcing them to do things that's aversive, that causes a level of trauma that is counterproductive to being therapeutic. And um, you really need to put the person first. Not to say that the family is not included in therapy, because the family is always included, especially when it's a child. Sure. But I just really wanted to be the therapist that encouraged parents to say, let's target things that help you and your child um, interact better and you and, you and their siblings interact better. But don't try to target anything that's a personal preference for you. Yes. And if the child is vocal and um, can express these things, I like to have the child always sit in because they should be a part of their therapy. And I wanted parents to know um, listening to these people online is disseminating fear. And, and my fear is that the people that need treatment won't get it yeah. because they're like, oh, I heard it was abuse. I heard all these horrible things. But just know when you're doing therapy, you're in charge. It's your insurance. They're billing you. 
you can sit down and say, absolutely not. I will not target this stimming behavior because I know it's something that my child needs to regulate. Um, this is what we can target. This is what I would like to target. It always should be a conversation between you and the therapist and the company, um, but you absolutely do not have to target things that you feel are not beneficial to your child's quality of life. So as long as you do that and you get a therapist that aligns with, you know, how you, because you can certainly also interview multiple therapists, you know? Yeah. And you should. <laughs> yeah. Get a therapist that aligns with your views. And you should not have a problem with anything, you know, harming or being abusive to your child and let your child, you know, be in control and, and talk about things if that is possible. You know, yeah. um, if, it, if it's not possible, that is a little more difficult. And of course, you always want to target if a STEM is self-injurious, if a STEM is harmful. I'm not saying don't target that. Target that. But be sure that you find a replacement behavior. It gives your child the same type of sensory input that they were receiving and put them on some type of non-contingent break. <clears throat> so they're not getting that buildup of, um, you know, wanting that, that desire for that, that sensory input because yeah. that's going to cause more problems in the long run. So that's kind of needs to be released. Right. So I became a therapist essentially to be the change that I wanted to see and to represent us in the field. I feel like um, other autistic children need role models. And um, my clients that are adults, I don't call them my clients. I call them um, my friends. We're like a mentor situation. Yeah. Because I have clients that are um, my age too. <laughs> so, sure. I, you know, I, don't, I feel like it's kind of insulting. I'm like, you know, I'm just your mentor. You know, and I'm just helping you navigate through things that I've learned. And um, those of us that have a voice, I wanted to also <clears throat> encourage to come into the field. And I hoped by me coming into the field, other people would say, hey, you know, I'll give that a try because we need more of us in the field. Yeah. So that's essentially why. <laughs> that's, so that's absolutely amazing. And you make so many. That's what I, lo I love talking to you is you make so many great points. And, um, you know, going back to being able to provide or find a provider that works with, with your family. I mean, mm -hmm. any kind of therapy, it takes 100% communication and, you know, just check in. Where are we? What can I be doing at home, you know, the, to make that transfer over? Are they just acquiring skills in the center or the provider? Is that rolling over into the home setting? And then also, just like <coughs> we would with any other provider, let's say mm -hmm. if I need to go to the dentist. If I go to the dentist and I don't have a, a great experience or I just don't feel like it's a good fit or it right. doesn't click, then I find another dentist. It's not like someone's telling me I need to go to that dentist. Now, on the flip side of that is that there are, I feel like, more dentists right. there are ABA providers or any and other kind of therapy providers. The waiting list is, yes. can be a beast and depending on your insurance and, you yes. know, like all kind of confounding variables can affect, but that shouldn't scare you from if you're not getting the quality, you know, the services that you think that your child deserves, you're going to end up doing more damage than good if you stick with a provider that you think is subpar or doesn't align with your values and, and beliefs of how your child should be treated, you know? Yeah. So sometimes it's just worth that way. That's not another reason why <clears throat> I started the Instagram. While I can't give like specific advice, 
that's not, you know, that's against like the ethics code. Sure. I can't disseminate general information um, to give parents kind of like guidelines of, you know, how they can follow certain things in between while they're waiting, much like what you're doing. Yes. Like I try to supplement that until, you know, they can get into insurance, like letting them know how to reinforce um, what extension bursts are, you know, it's just different things to kind of um, promote the education of ABA because <clears throat> you totally can implement plans and do a parent directed plan just from knowing strategies and stuff. Cause you know, your child best, you know? So um, yeah. that was one of the reasons that um, I started an Instagram just to let people know that information out there and give them the perspective from an individual that has autism as well. Yeah. And we were talking about, I think a lot of us practice ABA therapy strategies right. home without even knowing right. that's what we're doing, you know? So, um, I, it's really a simple, simple science. You know, the behaviors that you want to see increased, you reinforce the behaviors that you want to see weakened, you don't reinforce. You know, like it's really simple science. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you you had made a mention of, um, let's see, what is, did you call it planned ignoring? Or yeah, planned ignoring. planned ignoring is something that people who have done a quick Google of ABA always try to say, what about planned ignoring? That's teaching you to to plan to ignore your child. And that's not how that strategy works. <laughs> yeah. That strategy, um, Essentially, you ignore the behavior that you don't, you don't reinforce the behavior and that's where the ignore comes from. So if your child is hitting you to get your attention, mm -hmm. you don't want to um, acknowledge them when they're hitting you. You ignore the hitting, but you redirect them and you say, um, would you like something? You can say, I need something or they can point <clears throat> or gesture to something. You know, like um, if they have a card that says... I need apple. You know, you can hold it up and say, would you like an apple? You know? Yeah. And um, they point to it. Then once they point to it, you reinforce it. Like, okay, great. You can have an apple, but don't acknowledge when they hit you. And that's planned ignoring because you're not reinforcing the hitting behavior. <clears throat> you're reinforcing the functional communication behavior. Yes. And that's and what you want to strengthen and you want yeah. to weaken the hitting. Yeah. And that's for neurotypical kiddos too. <laughs> yeah. I see kids all the time having tantrums in the grocery store. Yes. And the parents will give them what they're having a tantrum for. And I'm like, oh, come on. You don't want to do that. So I'm the like, next <laughs> time they want something, they're going to grab that tantrum. Yeah. Because you reinforce that behavior, you know? Yeah. So it's really that simple. And it's no cruel or unusual, you know, like, oh, ignore your child. And a matter of fact, ABA really is against punishment procedures unless it's necessary in terms of you tried every reinforcement procedure possible <clears throat> and the child is in danger or their health or welfare, you know, um, yes. meaning like you might have to restrain them if they're hitting themselves or other people. But yeah. we always try not to implement anything that's restrictive or anything that is aversive to an individual because it's unethical. Yeah, right. So along your journey, so you, uh, you're you now working on your PhD. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my so gosh. I'm only doing that because people are like, oh, why are you putting yourself through that? I'm only doing <laughs> it because in order to gain the respect, the level of respect that I need um, in my community as far as the psychology field, 
and to contribute to academia and to do the research in order to do research that I direct, I have to have um, a PhD. Yeah. And that is necessary for me because I cannot involve us, meaning the ASD community in research until I get that to that level. And that will in turn um, help with clinical decisions. So by that, I mean, I want to conduct research like survey research methods that survey us, the ASD population, for our opinions on different behaviors that have been deemed socially significant, mm-hmm. like IE stemming, you know, right? and um, kind of prove to the scientific community that this is something that is not socially significant and it doesn't interfere or impact our quality of life, meaning the stems like flapping and stuff. Um, and so it will kind of establish a general consensus that this has been shown scientifically through evidence, through statistical, you know, means that the average adult with ASD feels that removing stemming from their repertoire is something that is more harmful than helpful. And so we should no longer target that. But in order to get to that point in a clinical aspect, I have to conduct um, scholarly research that founds that. And I have to do that with a PhD. And that's the level that I want to get to where I'm helping us and being the change that I want to see in treatment. That we have a voice because we need to be, meaning the ASD community needs to be more involved in the decisions that are made relative to our treatment. Social significance means what society feels is important. But until this point, right now, we're not really involved. We're not a part of society, you know, because we're not involved in these studies. Um, it's basing it off of society, meaning the neurotypical view of society, but they're not involving us in that as well. And we are a part of society. And also, like I said earlier, to promote neurodiversity, we need to just, you know, let go of some of these things that people are like, oh, that looks strange. Who cares? Right. You know? (laughs) Yeah. That's what we were talking about earlier. We all do strange things. My goodness. All and of this. I mean, sorry, neurotypical person, but I feel like you guys do more strange things. Oh, than yeah. I guarantee you. <laughs> I guarantee you. Yeah. I'll raise my hand for that. Well, from our perspective, everything we do, do is logical. Yeah. You know, yep. like we, we have a logic to everything. There actually has been a study that says that we're more logical than neurotypical people. Absolutely. I, find it I agree with that. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that. But we, uh, you know, things that you guys say, you don't say what you mean a lot of times. And we're like, oh, what? Yeah. You know, like everything we do is logical to us, you know? Oh, so. yeah. I, I swear, I was laughing with someone the other day because I can't even remember exactly what it was that I said to my son, Alex, but he looked at me like I was just the most ignorant person. Like, I, really? Are, are you like, seriously? Are you asking me this question? I'm sure it was just like a rhetorical question. You know, he's like, okay, it's right there in front of you. Why do you need to ask me this question? But I feel like, yeah, definitely. Um, he he is so he's so logical, and he's such a rule follower. Someone laughed at me the, because I was sharing with, uh, like, I actually jumped off a bridge with my friends in high school, like because we thought it was fun, you know. So it's like, wow, well, yeah, <laughs> um, and it was fun. But that whole thing with my mom was like, well, if if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? And I so did, but. If I tell Alex, do not ever jump off a bridge, he's not going to. I know for a fact he is not going to because he's a rule follower. It's like, okay, mom said I shouldn't do it, so I'm not going right. to do it. 
Right. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully. Yeah, that's exactly how I am. I have a lot of rule governed and structured behavior. You know, that's how I choose the profession I'm doing at the time because <laughs> it's my special interest, you know, and I, yeah. I love to, um, like research that interest and I am great at just following the rules of what you're supposed to do when you do this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we were also talking about is you were so eloquent in your speaking and you were so knowledgeable. One of the things that you mentioned was that kind of going back to your routine and things like as far as your eating routines, your drinking mm -hmm. routines, things like that. One thing that actually kind of surprised me was mm -hmm. that uh, from your, your limited diet, I know yeah. that my son has a limited diet and mm -hmm. can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. I, um, and it's, it's something that, you know, I say I still struggle with because, of course, I want to try to treat myself because I'm in the field now. Sure. Um, but I um, eat the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't like breakfast, so I don't eat breakfast, but I eat pizza for lunch and dinner. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, I'm trying to actually target through self-management, ABA, you know, strategies myself. But That's what fascinated me. Yeah, it's very difficult. But I'm, I'm at a point now where, you know, it used to be just cheese pizza, but now I'm at three ingredients, which I'm really proud of. Yep. <laughs> so I go to a place that makes uh, pizza fresh, and I've been adding one, one ingredient every uh, three months to try to expand um, my repertoire and to just get a little bit more nutritional value. So I've added three vegetables, um, and that's what I'm up to. And so it's still the, you know, it's still pizza. But I'm adding just a little bit, you know, and yeah. when I first start the first week, I'll put just a little bit on the side in a cup, lick it, try it with the pizza. Then I'll add it to the pizza, but only like sparsely, like just a little bit, you know? Yeah. And then by the end of the week, I'll try to have like, you know, a normal serving size of that vegetable on that pizza. Um, but yeah, I'm up to three. And that's something that, you know, I still struggle with. Um, I have to have it around the same time every day. Um, I mm -hmm. drink tea from a tea and I have to a chai tea latte <laughs> yeah and I drink three of those a day and it's just a part of my routine that um if I deviate from I do have a hard time with it and this is something that um I still struggle with as an adult where I, I get the tea from Starbucks and you know how they have them in the grocery stores sometimes yeah so I'm, I work in the field and I'm going to different schools and stuff you know every day and um I have been close to one that's like in a grocery store, but I can't go to that one. I have to go to the one that I go to because I know they'll make it the way that I make it. And it's part of my routine. I gotcha. <laughs> so I gotcha. it can be more convenient for me to go to the one across the street from the school I'm at. But just because my routine is that of going to that specific Starbucks, seeing those specific people, I know they'll make it at the temperature and everything that I want, you know? Yeah. Go there. <laughs> that's amazing. So and going back to like, adding the, those ingredients. I mean, that's something that, I mean, that's, that's what we've been working on, you know, yeah. with Alex. And so, and I, you know, it's to parents don't give them a whole portion because that's overwhelming. Oh, you yeah. know, you're going to see it and you're like, Oh my God, just give them a little bit at a time. Let them taste it. Let them lick it. Yeah. Let them chew it. Um, and you also mentioned like for me, a lot of, and I want parents to think about this because as a child, people always thought that it was because I, I do have sensory processing disorder and mm -hmm. people always thought it was because of that, but it's not. 
it's just the routine. I just like things to be the same. Yeah. Like the same food looks the same because it also has to look the same. But people where I go to get the pizza have learned if it's burnt or if somebody new is there, the manager will usually say, oh, no, 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 that's joy. I'll make it. <laughs> you yeah. So it's a safety thing. Yeah. And it, it's just a comfort. And I just yeah. like it. You know, and I think about sometimes I want to be adventurous. I really do. I'm like, oh, I want to try this. But by the time I get to where or halfway to where I'm trying to go, I'm like, mm, I'm just going to go and get yeah. my pizza. You know? yeah. <laughs> I've questioned myself so many times. It's like, how in the world does Alex enjoy having sweet potatoes every <laughs> single night for dinner? You yeah. know, <laughs> but for him, I mean, that that's what that's his go to. Yeah. And yeah. that's the only vegetable that he will eat. So we're just sticking to it for. for yeah. Right I mean, if it works and it's comfortable for him. And as long as it's not impacting his nutrition, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what I tell parents. You just have to be careful as far as the nutrition aspect mm -hmm. um, and try to supplement, you know, with like vitamins or something if you can, because that's what I do. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, you beyond that, you have to always think when they become adults like me. <laughs> yeah. They might revert back to eating what they want, you know, like all the time. <laughs> that's know. the problem with growing up, you know, like I realized that, you know, when I became an adult, I'm like, oh, I can go back to eating whatever I want, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For my son, it would be Chex Mix. Like yeah. he loves Chex Mix. So he'll, he could probably eat that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. And it doesn't bother me. And people, you know, I was like, you eat, you don't get tired of it. I'm like, no, like it's, I like it. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. fine. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, if there's one thing that you would like to say to the autism community, one thing as an advocate that you would like to say as kind of parting words, what would that be? I would like a lot of us to move beyond the keyboards and move beyond social media mm. and um, be more involved, not just in the scientific community, but, um, you know, like lawyers and stuff are great, but nobody can, t can be an advocate for an individual with autism better than an individual with autism. Yes. So if you're an adult and even taking like a, a child under your wing that you know in your neighborhood, just try to be out there and be more active and be a role model for those of us um, that may be impacted more severely. Um, you know, be a voice for those that may not have a voice and just get more involved with the community beyond. I mean, online is great, you know, but mm -hmm. we need, you know, like that physical representation. Yes. Like in the field and beyond. And I just really want more of us to get involved in that. Yeah. If you like the way that things are going, if you don't like ABA, hey, come into the science field and, and come up with something else, you know, because sure. we, we need treatment. So I just want us to be more involved. Wow. That's so <laughs> great. Joy, I could talk to you all day and I, um, and all, all week. I mean, we have so much to talk about and you've been such a pleasure and I cannot thank you enough for sharing the information that you've shared and just being, just sharing your time. Um, so thank you so much for, for everything that you do and everything that you are. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I appreciate you giving me a platform to speak on. In the past, our traditional expert knowledge came from observations by professionals who often lack the personal experience of being autistic. 
But by listening to autism advocates that are on the spectrum, like Joy, we can gain a larger understanding and acceptance of autism. One might even say that those on the spectrum are the true experts, right? Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and thanks so much for being a part of my autism tribe. I'll see you next week.